You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, the podcast for marketing professionals in higher education. Join us every week as we talk to the industry's greatest minds in student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where marketing and higher ed is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer, and I'm here with my co-host and friend, Bart Kaler. A couple of months ago, Bart was at a conference and met a dynamic speaker. Her name is Mary Catherine Chase and has a wealth of knowledge around international student marketing. And we invited her on the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast to get her wisdom from her and provide it to you. And I am very thankful that we did. She was not only warm, not only um, uh, exciting, but she brought a wealth of knowledge that I think all of us will benefit from. Yeah, she really kind of uh, goes deep. She has a deep experience in international student recruitment and kind of started her career in that and has kind of been a part of that, a big part of her career. And I think obviously you can tell she still has a passion for that even as director of marketing for the uh, George Washington School of Business. I think that she really has a lot of really practical things to, to, to give everyone from tips and tricks. And, and this, is, this applies to everything. We tried to kind of have the conversation so that it not only would apply to large schools that have, you know, chief uh, student and, you know, international student officers, but also stu- schools that are trying to figure out how to navigate that and, and maybe what you could you do to start, you know, with international students and recruiting them. So really great conversation. I think she's a wealth of knowledge. Stick around through the whole thing. There's a lot of, a lot of tips that she gives you as well as a way to reach out to her later on to follow up with anything. Here's our conversation with Mary Catherine Chase. <laughs> Mary Catherine, I'm eager to ask you this first question that we lead our podcast guest with, and that is if you could share something that you've learned recently that you feel would be interesting or surprising to our listeners. You know, Troy, I earlier this week met a marketing alum, and it was a reminder to me of how much we bond over case study learning and then talk about our marketing successes among peers in that way. And it was just such a fun opportunity to connect with someone coming out of, you know, marketing classes, a whole generation after me, but still enjoying the same classic case study learning, and then talking about our careers and our perspectives that we have in marketing, even though they're in different industries, but connecting back to that, how we learn and how we communicate and how much that actually defines us as a marketing community. And I just, I love that reminder coming into this conversation this week. I think that kind of verifies that you're doing the right thing and following your passion. And that gave you a a great sense. That's wonderful. Mary Catherine Chase, as I said in the introduction, you're from the George Washington University School of Business, but We have asked you on the podcast to talk about international marketing based on some of the work that you've done previously in the past. And for our listeners, if you could just give us a glimpse of that journey. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Troy. So I feel really fortunate that I started out in higher education by actually working for a foreign government in the United States. I began at the British Embassy in Washington, D.C., working with British institutions on their marketing, their policy, the relationships, first across the U.S. and then across North America. And what this did was set me up for a fairly unique frame in which it was thinking about higher education as a global marketing industry, rather than I think as many of my peers do as, you know, U.S. higher ed. So I always say that I was trained by another culture, by different expectations and, you know, different initiatives in many ways. And I've seen play out what I experienced moving from a labor government budget to a conservative government budget and seen those things play out in other leading English speaking destinations over the last 16 years as well, and how those trends and those nuances can be true, but just with different cultural contexts. Following that, I had the opportunity to work for many years for ISEP, which is International Student Exchange Programs. This is a nonprofit based here in Washington, D.C., but with members in more than 50 countries around the world and mobilizing students to just really explore in an in-depth way cultures and exchanges and study abroad. And through that experience, that's when I got to learn how similar and how different higher education marketing can be depending on your institution and your budget. You know, I can compare regional institutions in one country to regional institutions in another, MSIs in one country to another, faith-based ones. And so I love being able to see those nuances and how different marketing strategies that work in one country and one culture, if you have that similar recipe book for the same type of institution, you can employ it in another. And so that's been really the joy and the fun of working in higher ed is being able to work with so many different marketers, so many international senior officers across so many institutions to learn what are their secret recipe books and help apply those sort of macro trends you see to see if you can apply it on a really specific level. And often enough, it can work. Thank you, Mary Catherine. And for those reasons or for that background and the way you passionately speak to it is the exact reason why we wanted to have this conversation with you. Now, in my mind, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and we're recording this August in 2023, I think within the last couple of years, the most impactful thing that has happened within higher ed, international marketing, and recruiting is the COVID-19 epidemic. So if you could kind of take us, we want to set a stage, and then you're going to tell us where we are and how we can improve, but what type of impact did that have on higher ed, international marketing? Yeah, well, it, it rocked the community. And when I say the community, I don't just mean U.S. institutions or just marketers or you know, just uh, international student services offices. It's everyone in higher ed because so much of our purpose in higher education is to create these global communities on our campuses, whether it is a small percentage of our students that we're intentionally including or whether it's a large percentage and that mix of students is really driving the inclusion and diversity on campus. Everyone was hit by this in different ways. And so, you know, the challenge of it was how do institutions come together as groups to work with their nations to overcome the rapid changes in technology and innovation needed to bring those global classrooms online? 
How do we advance together to talk with government about changing visa policies? And, you know, in each nation that is a leading destination, there were very similar conversations happening between the organizations that higher ed institutions are members of. So in the United States, um, NAFSA, which it was formerly known as the National Association Foreign Student Advisors, now known as NAFSA, Association of International Educators, they came forward and really led in lobbying, so did the Alliance of International Ed. And each country had that dynamic of having these predetermined relationships through these membership bodies where they were able to go and really clearly communicate with government about how we needed to change policies to advance. And so that's the thing that, you know, resulted in many ways, positive outcomes, the community talking about these challenges that we weren't competing in, but we were trying to solve as an overall community. And, you know, so the challenges, those different pieces of how we all dropped and how we all restructured and how we all had to reemphasize different points. But the positive is that the communities came together to solve not just a national or an institutional challenge, but global challenges in that. Yeah, it seems like it might be a little bit of a reset in a way. I don't know if that's a fair way to put it, but I mean, since you have had so much experience in the international community, is that fair to say, or how would you put that? I would say there were a lot of talented people working off of you know, previous smaller dips. A lot of what I heard and saw in online communities, conversations was, we thought that 9-11 was something, this is really something else. And so you had significant leaders stepping forward who'd already gone through certain challenges, you know, working and advocating for change. And then you have, you know, new generations that were thinking in very innovative ways. So different colleagues coming together, I think across generations to solve the problems together was huge. Now, if we look at the data, right? So that's the whole thing. Where are we coming out from a data standpoint? And, you know, IIE, um, the Institute of International Ed, who does the data analysis for the U.S. Department of State on international student numbers, you know, some of their reporting last year is really showing a recovery, right? And we need this recovery soon (laughs) if we think about where that demand is shifting and where our numbers are shifting for domestic enrollment and that anticipation of that bunny slope drop of around 15% over the next few years. Yeah. So I I just want to tease out a little bit of this, I mean, with the impact of COVID and, and things like that. I mean, one thing that I noticed a lot of schools did, especially the smaller schools who weren't quite, you know, fully online in a lot of places. I mean, I remember March of 2020, 2020, my phone started ringing and people would be like, hey, Bart, you know, all that digital marketing and the online stuff you've been talking about, we're ready to do that. And it was funny how everybody quickly pivoted. I mean, even if they didn't have a LMS system, it was like, we're turning on Zoom and we're doing everything there. Help me understand a little bit about, I mean, obviously, International didn't do that, but I'm sure a lot of schools are now like, well, since we've done that before, why can't we just, you know, have international students online? Talk to me about that because, I mean, there's certainly some people that will think that way, but as you know, and I think as I know, there's a benefit that goes beyond that. 
No, that that is true. You know, the government in the United States pivoted in terms of our visas and what is allowed for percentages of online classes and things like that. But, you know, we're we're moving in the opposite direction again. We're in the after times now when it comes to that. And so, you know, there's recent reports that I was reading. Karen Fisher, who reports for the Chronicle of Higher Education, you know, recently interviewed a student and reported about how he couldn't register for the classes he needed because a lot of them were online. And so as university has taken courses online, gotten so good at teaching online, that visa system that had been set up for a certain period of time to support international students taking a certain percentage of courses online, that's changed. And so institutions need to sit back down and rethink the course scheduling and the emphasis on what is online and what isn't because the visas aren't there anymore. They're not, it's not allowed to do it in that structure. And so if we think about it from a recruitment standpoint and the speed of which a student in a country is going to communicate with their friends, their colleagues, their families back at home, that rumor mills very quick. And so the United States overall has to have very honest conversations between institutions, international students, and the way in which we decide what is and is not permissible under our visa structure. And if higher ed in the U.S. doesn't pivot back to having more classes available in person, then we will have that conversation over in these markets around the world. Students will make future decisions based on what they hear today for future semesters, future enrollments. As I'm sure you have known that the whole idea of artificial intelligence and especially things like ChatGPT are really starting to transform higher ed marketing. I really don't want anyone on this podcast to be left behind. So I really want to invite you to join the top minds in higher education at the inaugural Higher Ed Marketer Virtual AI Summit. It's going to be on October 24th. And in just one day, you're going to be able to discover practical strategies to leverage AI as your marketing collaborator and walk away with a lot of new skills as you do that. During the summit, you're going to learn how to create personalized outreach at scale, streamline content creation, boost your productivity, and so much more. Join Troy and I as we learn directly from innovative leaders and many of those who have been our past guests, including Jamie Hunt, CMO at Old Dominion, Brian Piper from the University of Rochester, and Kyle Campbell, the education marketer. You're also going to be meeting several of our new friends, such as Rafi Dushinin of ERI Design, Dr. Gil Appel of the George Washington University School of Business, Dr. Jules White of Vanderbilt, and Artis Kadu from Element 451 and Austin Marshall on how to use AI for your graphic needs. Seats are limited for this can't-miss event. Visit thehigheredmarketer.com, that's thehigheredmarketer.com, and use code PODCAST for 20% off your ticket. There's also rates available for groups of tickets, so you can find out more at the site. I want you to unlock the power of AI to enhance enrollment, giving, and beyond at your institution. Join us on October 24th. Talk about that, unpack that a little bit as far as the marketing goes, because I mean, prior to 2020, there was a certain type of marketing, which I I think was one thing. It's changed. I mean, everything has changed. And so how has that kind of changed in, in one, dealing with these rumor mills? And two, how does that then change just in the way that we market to international students? 
Well, you know, we talk a lot about the digital marketing and what I hear from recruiters often is, oh, thank goodness I'm traveling again. I'm back in market. I'm able to reassure people in person regarding these pieces. But at the same time, as you've mentioned, digital marketing has increased in different ways. So there are more microsites that are hosted in other countries in native languages. There are more schools that are employing people who can have conversations coming from that specific cultural background, oftentimes in that native language in that country. And those are the actions we need to take. And partly because of the global competition, a lot of the things that U.S. higher education institutions are doing today are the things in which Australian and British institutions did 10, 20 years ago. And so we always think of ourselves as ahead of the curve as a country in terms of marketing. Yes, we are innovators. Yes, we are great institutional marketers. But at the same time, if we think about the web presences that we have from competitors in other countries, to me, that's the ball game. That's the fun challenge is how am I not just competing down the street or domestically, how am I competing against the different universities in other countries? And when you compete against the best, you're just going to raise your game higher. Exactly, exactly. And let me just kind of, I'm going to take a little bit of a tangent just for a second before Troy asks the next question. But one thing I know about enrollment cliff, and you talked about kind of the bunny slope, the 15%, some states are going to see that more drastically, some are not. But one of the areas of domestic growth interestingly, which goes along with this conversation, is minority cultures. And so like Hispanics, are, that culture is growing in first-generation students coming to colleges. That's where a lot of schools will have an opportunity to make up a little bit of that domestically. Apply that to what you've learned about international and how schools that are listening that might say, you know what, we're, we don't have a big international population, but we do know that we've got pockets of cultural issues around us, whether you ha- I live in here in Indianapolis and we have a very large Ethiopian population. We have a couple other very pockets of, of populations, but I know that the cultures within those first generation families, especially are different. How can schools be better prepared to even reach out domestically in these different microcultures within our own cities? I love that question. You know, I think that if we want to look to ways in which institutions have done well, I'd look immediately at the MSIs and the HSIs to say, you know, who's doing this? If you haven't gone to Haku yet, (laughs) go this year to the conference. And to really learn what are the best practices that institutions in the U.S. have done. But even more basic than that, you know, just on the fundamental level of who are we as marketers, we need to listen to be authentic. Right. And so I think whether you are meeting with a population that is a statistically underrepresented population in the US or a population that you are recruiting from that's a major market overseas or a growth market, no matter what, it is listening to the people that you have with you and the people you want to recruit. And I think this is where that blend of in person and technology comes together. And marketers who want to listen, who want to have that part, whether it's a qualitative or a quantitative process, be part of their strategy, those are the ones that are going to make the wins and make the gains in terms of being able to understand and make those interpretations. For leaders, it's the same thing, empowering your staff to go and make those investments and building the relationships and understanding communities so that you are adapting those pieces to those unique audience sets. And this way, 
higher education isn't as dissimilar as when we look at other product groups and other industries that are trying to make that transition there. You know, other industries will have focus groups. Other industries will go and do all this test case. We often, I think, in higher education are worried and working on so many different things that don't take the time to do what we were trained to do from the start, which is do your market research to really inform your decision making. And so I absolutely love that parallel part. What can we learn about the statistically underrepresented or the micro communities within our nation that we can also apply as the same sort of frameworks for learning about the different populations we want to recruit from around the world? Yeah. And I think that's important too, to remember that a lot of times, even as we talk about DEI, if we're not representing what we're talking about in our own institution, whether it's in our leadership, if it's in our admissions team, if it's in those things, I mean, if you're trying to recruit Hispanic families and you don't have someone who's a, you know, a a very fluent Spanish speaker on your staff, you need to start there. And, you know, and so I I think, and, and I just say that that's kind of common sense for a lot of people. But I think it's sometimes too, there's, I've met some leaders that just think that, oh, if we're just going to go aim that direction, let's go. We got to do a little bit of uh, ready aim before we start you know, firing. So that, that is so true. And you know, it's, it's true of anything where you're going into a new market and you're trying to have growth in an area you haven't had previously. And I think that if we just continue to apply those same principles, we can have the that growth that we hope to have. It may be a longer <laughs> growth exactly. period than we want. But I think when we look at some of the percentages of growth across new markets or emerging markets or growth markets for the U.S. over the last few years, we are seeing that. So, you know, what did higher ed marketers and recruiters who are focused on global admissions doing during the pandemic? Well, when I look at the data, I see that they were really investing in digital conversations, right? They were not on the road, they were not traveling, but they were having these conversations. I mean, the fact that India is up 19% year over year for over the last year in open doors, the fact that South Korea came up three, but the China went down 9% really shows how things are playing out. Some of my favorites are that we had a number of institutions that just massively increased over the last year. And these are important numbers because our competitors, if we're thinking in terms of national competition, are doing that themselves. I think the number I I want everybody to just truly know when we're looking on this different scale is what our other competitors are doing on the national level. Because this is when we come back as a community and say, how is our national brand? How do students consider us in terms of being um, a market to move into working? How are our visa policies? Are we a safe country? Are we a welcoming country? And the one that's winning the game in terms of growth right now is Canada. Their statistics last year showed a 30% increase in international students. I've never heard 30% for a country year over year. Um, And so I think that we can look to our neighbors in the North to say, what's going on there? Um, And I think it's going to be an interesting story when they're willing to tell it. Yeah, it's funny because I I know right now I have several of my Canadian clients and friends that are regular listeners, and I know they're giving a big whoop right now for you to say that. So, (laughs) Brand Canada has done a lot of work over the years. You can measure it in terms of 
the quality of websites that we see now. You can measure it in terms of the welcoming level of visas that are provided there. And you can measure it in terms of the investment in the institutions um, and understanding how important it is to really listen to international students. And those are the key three things that I've seen Canada do, and it's been a great strategy for them. Mary Catherine, you've been very vocal on how the U.S., and maybe we can think of it in terms of brand USA, that of adopting a proactive approach to how we can start to attract international students. And I've heard you put it very eloquently, and I think it was based on three pillars. We'd like to know if you would take our listeners through those three pillars on the advice that you give, either specific or direct universities, or maybe our overall brand as a country and how we can better present ourselves. Absolutely. So for any marketers that are listening to this don't have international recruitment or international marketing as part of their bread and butter, I'm going to give you one website, look up Education USA. This is Brand America when it comes to international education. It is the official body under the U.S. Department of State. Um, The U.S. Department of Commerce also does a whole lot of work in this area. But if you're thinking about how do we overall empower and attract international student, both as you know, sort of a gold standard, but also linking back to the major resources that international students need as they start their journey, go ahead and start linking to this on your web pages for international students. This is where they are going to find content that shows them how really welcoming. So Troy, I really think it comes down to relationships authenticity, and community. And we can apply that across, you know, as you mentioned, national relationships and those dynamics, as well as as within institutions. So in terms of relationships, I think that one-on-one between marketers and the SIO, so the senior international officer, everyone that works with international students, and then the international students themselves. And that takes us into number two, which is this authenticity. We can't be authentic unless we know who we're talking to. And so there's a couple of things that I love to see from universities, which is that investment of time, patience, and listening for students. And you can put this in place through a couple of marketing activities. For example, inviting students to be part of your photo shoots and your video shoots, inviting them to come and share advice, which can become your testimonials and then swagging them out and <laughs> following this so that they feel that sense of surprise and appreciation at receiving, you know, this swag gift, but also so they're taking it home to their home communities. And then I think that last one is community and not in, you know, an artificial sense, but really as that next step of relationships, authenticity, community is helping students form a community through your marketing practices, right? And so students will find themselves in the community through that great marketing that is authentic and through the practices that you have in relationship with the International Student Services Office when they're on campus, you can grow that. You can also use it as a feedback cycle to help everyone understand what are the positives? What are the challenges they need help with? Marketers are great at asking questions and listening. We are curious, we are creative, and we're going to come back and we are going to talk with our partners on campus, build those relationships through saying, how do we create a better student experience, therefore better student marketing by listening to these students? And in turn, that community extends to alumni. An international alum 
who has had experiences where faculty and staff have invested in listening to them and creating community for them, they're going to be the first to raise their hands to say, what can I do when I get home? What can I do when I move to that other global city where I'm going to launch my career or further my career? And we see that time and again. And the people who put those strategies together are the ones that see that full loop of an invested alum recruited that new invested student. I love that because I think that a lot of what you're saying is, I mean, the relationships, the authenticity, the community, I think even some schools that maybe might not be to where they want to be yet on international uh, recruitment or international students. This is some things that they kind of already know. These are gut checks. And, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things. It's a reminder to say, sometimes we have, you know, specialized groups on campus, whether it's different clubs or, or we've got the international students or we have, you know, first gen students. There's a lot of different places and ways that we kind of categorize students. But at the end of the day, they're all students and they're all, you know, students that have these needs. They all come, you know, uh, very shy and kind of not sure what's going on on the first day. Everybody's in the same place. Maybe internationals have come from a further distance and that's it's heightened for them and, and the culture change and things like that. But I think a lot of this is just kind of some some basic decency and and basic, you know, really good ways of just reminding ourselves that let's care for these students. Let's let's look into this. I mean, it doesn't have to be a, it is systemized, but at the end of the day, we want to really show, you know, brand USA is it caring and it's, it's something that we all take for granted sometimes that, that I think that, you know, the relationships and the authenticity are so, are so critical. So maybe just kind of react to that. I mean, how does that, how does that feel to you? I think that's absolutely true. You know, everything I just mentioned are things that we are doing on our campuses with our domestic students and in different student groups. And this isn't to say it's not happening on campuses either, but I think it is often isolated or mostly held within the International Student Services Office, within affinity group offices, or the longer relationships with the recruiters that brought them in. You know, when I see international students on campus, that's often who they're interacting with. And so I am the first to say when I invite them to come take photos and to do, you know, video storytelling is to say, I was an international student. And this just sort of sets them at ease. You know, one of the great things about higher ed is almost everyone works in higher ed because they love higher ed and they want to see it be excellent. They want to see it improve. And so I'll take it back to that relationships piece. If as a marketer, you didn't study abroad, or if as a marketer, you weren't an international student, go find the people who were. Go find the people who can relate to the students and partner with them. I guarantee they will not see it as poaching into their territory. They'll say, oh, you showed up. You care about our international students. (laughs) This is amazing. And, you know, I think often recruitment teams and um, international student service teams could see it as, oh no, marketing showing up, they're going to police the brand. So, you know, it's coming and saying, you know, here are our resources. What can I give you from our marketing tool basket that's going to help you improve these relationships? So maybe sometimes that research doesn't have to happen in our offices. Perhaps that management of the brand and recruitment abroad doesn't have to come from our offices, but through those relationships, that partnership, we can feel really confident that we're empowering the stakeholders that do have those really authentic one-to-one relationships with our our international students to be implementing our brand in the ways that we're proud of, to be coming back in and saying, we need to reinterpret how we're saying this abroad 
Did you know this? So having those intercultural conversations with those that are doing that travel or receiving international students and working with them while are here on our campuses, that's a conversation. And I guarantee they want them because they've all studied intercultural communication. They love these conversations. Yeah. One of the things I really like about your example too, is that just by that invitation to a photo shoot or a testimonial and keeping in mind, and I'm going to, I'm going to read into what you said, but I think I'm going to make a point for the audience. That's not a photo shoot or a testimonial about them being an international student. It's just including them in with all the other students on being able to represent your school. So, I mean, it's not like we're doing an international brochure. We're doing the view book and we're going to pull them in and invite them into that. And I think that's so critical because I think that then you're showing the relationship, you're building the relationships, you've got that authenticity because their voice is being heard and that that builds the community and just the simple stake of doing that. I, I really love this part because it is such a crucial question that people ask all the time. Do we need a segment out our marketing and our communication and our community so that it's bespoke to different international markets or to international students alone? Or should we include them all together? Well, you know, you mentioned DEI earlier and that I is inclusion. And if we're creating a separate segmented group, then we're not doing part of what our missions are on these campuses which is creating an atmosphere where domestic and international students feel like they are part of that community. You know, we can really have an impact in the way in which they interact in dorms, on campus, and in classrooms by showing that in our marketing that this is a global community, but on our campus. We've covered so much. So a couple of last questions. The first one is, based on this ever-competitive global landscape, Have we covered everything that you feel our listeners, especially the ones that are really leaning in and need to lean into recruiting international students, is are there any other pieces of advice that you can offer that we haven't covered today? Oh, I think my main piece of advice watching other nations go through a, you know, a domestic enrollment, a projected domestic enrollment decline and putting as a nation more emphasis on international recruitment is to be mindful of our language as we talk within our institutions, as we recruit, but especially when we are talking with um, our legislators, especially when we're talking with the press. You know, the, the last thing we want are headlines around cash cows. I think that the United States has done an amazing job for so many years in recruiting and creating meaningful long-term relationships with students. But if we look at other nations and what happens when we see this increase, this dial-up of recruitment, is we go and we see those articles appearing in the press. We see those different hearings that go on at the legislative levels in those countries. And we have identity politics play into it. And it's just not fair to the people that work with international students. It's not fair to international alumni, students, or prospective students. And so I think that mindfulness and why we care about international students that we're trying to come out of a very difficult, hopefully once in a lifetime scenario dip from COVID and that we're doing this because we care about the long-term future of what our campuses and our higher education outcomes look like. So that would be my last thing that we can learn from other countries, whether you're looking at Australia or the United Kingdom, at times Canada or New Zealand, is that that has happened, that has been cyclical for those countries. And we can likely anticipate we'll see that here as well if we're not mindful. 
Thank you. And then the last question I have is our usual question. If there's something that could be done quickly, immediately by a listener to move the needle or maybe to get things started, what piece of advice would you give them? Hire an international student as an intern to look at your website. Number one, every day of the week, have them look at your website, give recommendations. They're going to remember and pull up the other websites they looked at from competitors. They're going to give you really honest feedback. So I think it is one of the greatest ways to start deep relationships with your current students. Then also to hear um, a student give that competitive analysis from their perspective to help them invite their friends' perspectives in and do it often because we change our websites all the time. We have been graced from Mary Catherine Chase, the Director of Marketing and Communications of the School of Business at the George Washington University. Can you please give us the preferred way that you would like for someone to contact you if someone would like to reach out for more information? Oh, that is great. You can find me on LinkedIn, Mary Catherine Chase. And I look forward to hearing from you. I enjoy these conversations so much. Thank you. Well, we've enjoyed having it with you. And I'm sure that you've given a lot of great content to our listeners. Thank you both for having me. It's so been so enjoyable. Yeah, it's been a, it's been great. And just a couple of things I wanted to point out from our conversation here today. Thanks, Troy. Just a few things that, that uh, Mary Catherine had said. Remember that this is just a big, this is one piece of the puzzle for DEI. And I think sometimes I really liked a lot of what Mary Catherine talked about with not turning this into some segmentation and it's kind of over there in that office. This is a part of our community and really being able to embrace that and pull that in and make your international students really feel a part of, of the relationships, the authenticity, the community that you already have, that you're already proud of. So, so not overlooking this area, I think is important. And then I really like the idea of just, you know, using those resources to, to, to kind of invite that inclusion in. So whether you're doing a photo shoot or whether you're gathering testimonials, invite the international students to that, not because they're international, but because they're a student and hear their stories, get that captured and reward them with swag because not only will they just appreciate it, it's a nice thing to do, but that's going to be going back into the culture that they come from when they're visiting home and those other things. And so I really like that a lot. Uh, educationusa.state.gov is the website that she had referenced. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And then I just really like that last part that we talked about is just that intentionality of being mindful about all this. And then that very practical tip of just hiring an international intern in your marketing department, just to help them kind of look at things from a different perspective. I just, I think that was an extremely beneficial and, and great tip. So thank you so much, Mary Catherine. It's been wonderful to spend some time with you this afternoon. Thank you, Bart. Thank you, Troy. It's been our pleasure. I'm grateful for both of you. I'm also grateful for our wonderful producer, Rob Collin at Westport Studios. And please remember the Higher Ed Marketer podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education, marketing, and branding agency, and by Ring Digital. Accurately and precisely, connecting colleges directly to the devices of their prospects, inquiries, and alumni on their most valued physical mailing list. On behalf of Mary Catherine, Bart, and myself, Troy Singer, thank you all for listening. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. 
To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. The Higher Ed Marketer is a production of Kaler Solutions and Ring Digital in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by guests on The Higher Ed Marketer are their own and may not reflect the views and opinions of their organization. Know someone who's a mover and a shaker in higher ed marketing? Visit www.higheredmarketerpodcast.com and click on our Contact Us page. We'd love to have you tell us about them. Until next time.